Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Chasing the bling of Lux Life, Claudia, a 20-something Chicana, makes bad choices and gets caught. Despite the fact that she barely speaks a word of Spanish, her undocumented status gets her deported to Mexico. Although she can never legally return to the U.S., Claudia refuses to accept life with her estranged father and grandmother in a foreign homeland. She spirals into a dangerous situation with a handsome smuggler. Veronica Siktos gives a nuanced performance in an emotionally withholding anti-hero who's trouble for anyone who dares to care about her. We're joined today by the director and cinematographer, Michael Dwyer, and the co-director and screenwriter, Caitlin McLaughlin, to talk about this wonderful new film, Pocha, Manifest Destiny, and it will be screening at the Los Angeles Film Festival. Michael and Caitlin, welcome to Film School. Great, great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're so welcome, and thank you. Well, I guess I'll start with uh, Caitlin, because um, I want to know where this story came from and a little bit about the background uh, on these characters. Where do they come from, Caitlin? Sure. Well, actually, this is sort of something that also involves Michael. Michael, do you want to sort of start with where where we uh, began this journey? Yes. Uh, the, the initial idea for this movie began... Um, my my family has a house in Mexico, and uh, after my father passed away, I had to uh, deal with some residency issues. Um, and in order to process the paperwork, I ended up at the border late one night and uh, witnessed a deportation. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and as I was standing in line, uh, I got to know some of these deportees and got to hear some of their stories. And the thing that became clear was that they were very Americanized. They spoke very little Spanish. And what it really, that all captured for me was uh, this sort of twisted version of the American dream. And I had been looking for the sort of right way to take a hard look at American identity and the American dream and this sort of crystallized it, and I then sort of <laughs> went forward from that, uh, from, that, from that experience and developed the story with Kate, and, with Caitlin. And Caitlin, right. talk about your involvement and your, sure. what you brought to the, to the script. And to, uh, yeah, Michael and I had been working together on a, a few other projects, and uh, I had learned that he had been trying to develop a project surrounding his experience with uh, deportees. And, you know, I sort of immediately envisioned the story from a young woman's perspective. You know, we were really interested in trying to tell, you know, tell the story through the eyes of a strong, adaptable young female who's really determined not to be a victim. Our main Claudia, you know, uh, character Claudia, she, she doesn't really easily fit into any categories. She's really trapped between two worlds, you know, the United States and Mexico. And she sort of exists in between, but refuses to be relegated to the periphery. And so it's really about her struggle to create her own space and make a place in the world that doesn't offer one for her. 
Well, it's a terrific uh, performance. Um, let me just, before we get too much further into this, obviously the film is, it hinges on this performance by Veronica Siktos. Uh, and she does a fantastic job. Um, one of the things I like about her character, Claudia, in this is we know just enough about her before she is arrested and deported back to, to uh, Mexico. But we don't know much about the kind of the moral landscape, her interior mo- moral landscape. We see her doing mm-hmm. some things to make some money, and you know, so and that's one of the reasons she's in trouble. But uh, I thought this this character, obviously so key to the film, um, is a strong perfor- a strong character. She's not going to be a victim, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about what went into the development of Claudia for for you as a and both of you as directors. Talk to us a little bit about uh, that. Um, yeah, well, I guess I'll just start off by by saying that I think as Americans and at this point, I think we're all being asked to be more adaptable and more flexible and and make difficult choices uh, in our lives about, you know, wh- how, how it is we work or how it is we like in our moral lives. And and I think the that that uh, especially women and women of color are has to be the most adaptable in these circumstances. And I think that uh, working with Kate, it, it became clear that the best way to tell this story was with a character that then became Claudia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin, do you, do you have a... Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, we were interested in sort of creating a, a complex, multidimensional character. Uh, certainly, like, uh, there's a bit of a progression we hope with Claudia sort of at the beginning we get a sense that she's uh, sort of selfish and entitled um, but you know for us she's sort of really the embodiment of um, you know sort of the American green, dream gone wrong you know she's she's sort of been raised at a time in America where greed and materialism has reached epic heights and so we, we definitely wanted to have that be infused into the character um, and and really come through the story and, and we get to see a sort of a some of the consequences of making decisions that are motivated by greed. And so that's definitely something that's sort of a, a tightrope for her in the movie is sort of she's sort of balancing uh, choices that are both good and bad. Yeah, and I'm watching the film, uh, uh, Pocha, Manifest Destiny, and it'll be screening at the Los Angeles Film Festival. It'll be screening, that would be Sunday at 6.30 at the, was it the Regal? The Regal Cinemas LA Live. LA Live. Um what my and also just to add to that, Caitlin, she's also growing up in a time when the what was considered to be a traditional path to success in this country is becoming increasingly more difficult for everyone, even more specifically for uh, people of color. Certainly, her situation where there's just really no, you know, there's no clear. You do this, and this next step will follow in regard to some kind of economic. Uh, independence and so you increasingly see yeah exactly and and i think that's you know we definitely wanted to create a world in which we sort of shown that she's trying to navigate a world of really impossible choices it's not often that people are making choices between good and bad but between bad and worse and we really hope that people will identify uh with her struggle with her with her struggle to sort of find a path that you know transcends all the boundaries and limitations that you know she's you know she's trying to overcome yeah, and another thing is just looking, just just seeing her in the film as it opens. Uh, there's no reason to think that she's not legal. 
I mean, it's sort of in in sort of the from the world that I've come from and looking around the the people I I'm around all. Uh, she looks completely Americanized, and I I hope that doesn't sound patronizing the way I put it. But she doesn't appear. No, in, that, yeah, no, that's exactly right. That's 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 exactly right, and that's and and I think you know we're we're trying to the the film is walking this boundary between uh, being a thriller on the one hand and being a a Western uh, on the other. Yeah. And I think that the, the thing we wanted to capture is that we wanted to give her that uh, individualism and that um, determination that we often see in Western, you know, in the Western genre. And so I hope that, that she has uh, <laughs> some of that, and I hope that that in a way is heroic. Yeah, just to add to that again, I mean, they're absolutely in keeping with that sort of uh, iconography that we're used to in Westerns. She's a woman of very few words, obviously being barely speaking Spanish, but since she's thrown, she's back in Mexico. That's one reason, but she was really, even up to that point, uh, a, a character that had very little to say. And it's, it's in, and again, this is in the telling of the story that we see her begin to open up, and for a lot of reasons. By the way, this is a complex character. She's opening up for a lot of reasons. She's opening up for an opportunity that she sees. She's opening up because she's now staying with her father and her grandmother in Mexico. There's there's that kind of re- reproachment between them. So there's a lot of reasons for her to start opening up, but she comes at it, at it from a very guarded uh, kind of point of view throughout the film. She's very guarded, but very, very strong. I, I really like this character, and I, again, I think that's the strength of this film in general. All the characters are well-drawn. Um, yeah, we we definitely also, when we were working with Veronica, and, and sometimes it was a joke between us, but we also, you know, we would describe her as a cowboy. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we wanted, we definitely wanted to bring, like you said, some of the, the classic iconography of Westerns to, to a strong female character in that world. And, and let me just again remind everyone we're speaking with Michael Dwyer. He is the uh, director and cinematographer, co-director and cinematographer, as well as Caitlin McLaughlin, and she is the co-director and screenwriter for Pocha Manifest Destiny. Um, yeah, all of those things you said, and again, Veronica, fantastic kind of central character. Obviously, everything sort of pivots around her in terms of the story. But the other characters in here, and this is where often uh, a film like this will go completely off the rails, is not developing a full, kind of uh, full, fully fleshed out characters that surround this uh, this story. And I thought you did a fantastic job. I would single out in particular uh, her father. Uh, obviously, the uh, the uh, I don't want to give too much away in the in the film, but. The, the the criminal element. <laughs> How do I put this? The the, the man she meets. Well, I I just completely. I'm sorry. Help me out. Her, he's, his name. He's he's uh, yeah. Um, Ricky. Just, he's, Ricky. He's a dangerous smuggler. The there you go. Thank you. The dangerous smuggler, Ricky. Uh, and just everyone. Everyone in this film just feels so. The pitch is really well done in terms of relationship to one another. Tell me a little bit about the. The casting and and the characters as well. When you were writing this, putting this together, this obviously was an important part for you. Um, yeah, well, actually, I'll just start with with uh, with Ricky um, because uh, he's uh, Roberto Urbina is a is a great Colombian actor um, who I made my first short film with 
um, when I got out of film school. And uh, I, he, he was on with the project from the very beginning. And I think what's uh, interesting here is he, he's, you know, he's known more as a primary romantic lead um, and, and has played that in various uh, sort of soap operas in, in Latin America. And the most notable uh, recently is his role as, as Jesse in the Spanish version of Breaking Bad, Metastasis. And um, I think what was interesting in this case is, the, is, is that he's, for the first time, playing a, a villain, and, and he, does it, he does it very well. Yes. He's, he's a likable villain. He's an understandable villain. You know, yeah. a relatable villain in this, and I even think that call him even to say villain is a is maybe just a little bit stronger than I mean he's a he certainly his actions are bad. <laughs> Not going to defend <laughs> what he does, but I mean I, I, I yeah. he's, he's kind of comes off as a as a guy that you you know you certainly would would like to talk to and hang around. Um, well, yeah, and 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 I I think that was that was a real important part of a of of the process was that. You know, in making the the decisions that Claudia has to make in the film as difficult as possible, you know, I think the the thing was to make the the more greedy choice or the easier choice or the uh, the dangerous choice make that appealing, and that's and that is something that you know is is real, and and, and you know we didn't want to make it easy for her and we wanted it to have the the highest stakes and 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 have her you know make the biggest choices caitlin let's talk about her father uh who played by julio Cedillo. uh just yeah another great performance really solid this is a, a a tricky role but go ahead tell us a little bit about that particular character and the performance by julio yeah, Julio uh, does a great job of, of bringing Claudia's father, Andres, to life. Uh, you know, we don't have a ton of time to develop sort of all the backstories on screen, but one of the things we really wanted to get across is sort of w- one of the reasons maybe that his relationship with his wife fell apart and that they left. Um, and, and one of those is that he's, he's difficult to be around. He, he is sort of a stubborn, intractable, isolating character. He, he has a progression in the film where he also starts to open up and develop a relationship with his child. But he's also someone who's very interested in isolating himself from the world and sort of sealing himself off because he thinks, you know, that the world around him is dangerous. And, and you know, he's sort of always trying to protect and isolate his family from outside uh, forces that, you know, he sees as bad you know so i think there's an element to which isolating yourself is not good and and he sort of for us embodies that and and claudia when she shows up she brings the full force of the world upon andres exactly. everything all of the and it's in many ways what how as you described it she brings exactly what he feared and and it's and it was his fears were well founded yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, <laughs> no, there, in some and, ways, she's his worst nightmare, and she's his daughter. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, those 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 elements and that engagement in the world, I think it, it we really wanted to expose the fiction of a sense that you can uh, you can sort of hide yourself from it or or isolate control. yourself from it yeah. or control it. 
uh, you know, the, the, you have to engage. Well, again, I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with co-directors, and that would be Michael Dwyer and Caitlin McLaughlin, and also uh, Caitlin is the screenwriter and Michael is the cinematographer. Uh, we are, after all, film school. I want to ask a couple of somewhat technical questions. The film looks fantastic. Uh, beautiful look to it. It certainly has, as you d- described it, the Western, uh, certainly has m- very much a Western look to it. Um, tell me a little bit about what you shot on, what you use for your, your cameras, um, uh, Michael. Yes, we, we shot on uh, the Red Epic um, and with, with uh, Canon L-Series uh, photographic primes, which is, uh, you know, sort of what the the tools that we had available, and we just tried to, to make the most of them. Yeah, no, it, it looks it looks great. I hear so many um, you know indie filmmakers talk about red. They love red. I know that. Uh, I don't know how. Just real quick, I don't want to technical here, but low light. It's fine in low light. Um, better. Yes. Yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, I, I think uh, the best we <laughs> we can hope for, and and actually the the thing I've been amazed about is how much the the noise uh that we were initially seeing uh is not that present in the dcp um and it 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 looks even better on the big screen than than uh i i had anticipated so yeah we're thrilled with the look especially as the film went on you shot a lot of stuff in in and at night in twilight so it you know again everything just shows up real well and just day uh, days of shooting uh how many days did you have on something like this so uh, the, yeah, in in structuring this, you know, I I think there's uh, in general there's a there's a big emphasis in filmmaking on you know I, well how how quickly can can things be done and and maybe can we do it faster with more people and we really went uh, against that grain and really went with you know, a very uh, core group of dedicated crew members who we then <laughs> put through the ringer for a very long time. We ended up shooting uh, a total of 10 days in the U.S. and another 45 days in Mexico. Well, that is, that's, uh, I think that's a world record for independent filmmakers. <laughs> I, think, I think that might be close, approaching it. No, that's great. That's great. And if you can do yeah. that, I think you're absolutely right. In addition to you know, all the pressures of uh, independent filmmaking, just, just being able to wrangle uh, all of the, your, your actors together for a very specific point, a length of time, and then on top of it, just all of the pressure of, you know, every day, how many pages you got to get through and all of that. If you can get around that, and that's one of the reasons why I asked this question, because it's often 23, 25, really like a big one is 28 days, uh, but it's good. And if you can do it, you're right, and it comes out. It, it This film really looks very, very solid. It's a great-looking film, and... Uh, it didn't look like you cut corners uh, on it at all, it, and and uh, certainly where you shot it had, I'm sure, was was a, a big help being able to not have to shoot a, a lot of in the city kind of stuff, is I'm sure yeah. huge, and try not to uh, have to do that. No, and 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 we had, uh, yeah, we had really amazing assistance and support from the community of La Mission in in northern Baja, and uh, you know we're, we're able to. To do these 
long night ranch shoots and all kinds of things that, uh, yeah, just gave us the time to not compromise and really uh, go for exactly what we needed to to make the movie great. Now, now, Caitlin uh, McLaughlin, tell me a little bit about Division of Labor. Co-directors w- between you and Michael, was there was there specific things, or was it just you know you help where you help each other out? How, how did that work for you as a co-director? Yeah, I mean we we worked sort of really closely the whole time. You know, we developed a story together point by point. We we spent a lot of time in Mexico. Michael sort of introducing me to uh, the areas where we would shoot for inspiration and research purposes, and then. Sort of, it, it, it kind of, uh, I guess it, it, it sort of developed organically. You know, Michael is sort of a visual artist, and, you know, his expertise behind the camera is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, it really helped to have two people to manage the story because it's a big story. It's an epic story. And so, you know, from, from my perspective, I could help with, you know, if he's doing a complicated camera and lighting setup, you know, I can, I can do rehearsals and get the blocking going and make sure everybody's where they, we need them to be when the setup is ready. Um, you know that that kind of thing. So it really helped to have you know two brains and four hands on on such a on such an ambitious project. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, we started to develop relationships uh, with all the actors, and and uh, so certain at certain points, it would be easier for me to talk to somebody versus Michael to talk to somebody. But I mean, ultimately, I think we both really shared the the same vision for the film, and so it became easy for us. Uh, you know, for, well, you know, the actors might tell a different story, but uh, we hope <laughs> we hope that two of us was uh, was was was, was a, you know like a great benefit as opposed to being like two people contradicting each other all the time. Well, you it's the, it's the old good cop bad cop. There you go. Yeah, we had to we had to take turns, and luckily sometimes I got to be the good cop and, uh, and the bad cop. <laughs> well, let, let me ask you because as co-directors, because usually you know in the age of auteur right? Everyone has, has a vision, and it sounds like you were able to work with one another in ways that you realized a vision. Uh, sort of cinematic influences. Uh, Kaylin, I'll start with you. Are there, are there directors that when you were, as you're putting this together, you, you sort of have in mind, have influenced you in the way you'd like to make a movie or the look of it? Uh, and did you and Michael ever have that discussion? Like, we want it to look like X, or we feel like it's this is the kind of movie it, it should look like. Was was that a part of your discussion? Sure, yeah. We definitely uh, spent a lot of time, you know, looking at references and, and uh, paying attention to how we wanted the film to feel. You know, we definitely wanted sort of a, a, a kinetic, real feeling. Michael has a background in documentary filmmaking, so we definitely wanted to bring his experience and expertise into, into creating sort of that uh, kinetic, off-kilter, uh, real-life, uh, you know, situations. Uh, and... You know, we definitely uh, looked at we looked at all sorts of things. You know, we were we were really fond of looking at the film HUD starring Paul Newman. That was a, a film that we really liked to break down and look at how you know Paul Newman's character was uh, you know relevant to the character of Claudia, uh, the relationships in that film. Um, and we're both big fans of Ang Lee, so uh, we obviously took a look at uh, Brokeback Mountain and, and and some of you know some of his movies because he's he's a master. Um, I don't know, Michael. Who else? Who else should we? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, I can't help but be uh, influenced somewhat by, by, you know, uh, Paul Tam- Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the thing was is we, yeah, I feel like I feel like HUD is really the the central re- became the central reference for us, um, both 
both thematically and stylistically. And, um, and, and, you know, we really wanted to kind of give that, uh, give that story, uh, a, a, a more recent update. And I, I hope we were, we somewhat honored <laughs> that masterpiece. Well, it, you did. I mean, it's, again, I, I think it's a beautiful film. I think the acting is superb. I really like the arc of the stories of the different characters and the way that they intersected and just the way it played out. And uh, I just did a great job. And uh, congratulations to both of you. And uh, as evidence of this, of the the work, you're at the L.A. Film Festival. Please, please check us out on on Facebook. Uh, You search for Pocha Manifest Destiny. Um, you, there you can be updated on when we are having more screenings, okay. as we hope that uh, L.A. Film Festival is just the, the beginning of, uh, of, of lots of lots of energy and lots of uh, uh, views for the film. Yes, excellent. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for being here today on Film School. Uh, again, Pocha, Manifest Destiny, you've got the Facebook, it's, you're at the L.A. Film Fest. You can go to LAFilmFest.com to find out about this screening tomorrow night, Sunday night at 6.30, and as well as the future screenings for it and, and all the other great films that are at the L.A. Film Festival as well. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Caitlin, for being on Film School. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.